This is Greater LA from KCRW, the show that connects you to the people, the places, and the plant-based foods of Southern California. Hey there, I'm Steve Chiatakis. Every Sunday, a pop-up market comes to North Hollywood. Around 50 food vendors and trucks show up with tacos. They've got shawarma, sushi, and Cajun seafood. But no actual meat and no dairy or eggs. It's all vegan. A few years ago, it was rare to see dishes that successfully mimicked things like seafood. Now it's different, though, says Jessica Cruz, the founder of this market. What's happening in this space is so, so special and so unique. And then people show up and they're like, okay, I'm going to have a shrimp boil. What? A shrimp boil? Are you serious? It's amazing. New plant-based meat and seafood substitutions have allowed the cooks here to veganize the dishes that they grew up eating. And I think that that helps to sort of shift the narrative and break the stereotype of what veganism is. And now this weekly market in NoHo is the spot to be if you want to eat dishes made by the L.A. chefs redefining vegan food. Here's KCRW's Megan Jamerson with a dish. The origin for this market in North Hollywood called Vegan Exchange goes like this. Jessica Cruz had been vegan for about five years. She was noticing vegan cooks doing delicious things and wanted to put all of them in one place for one afternoon in her favorite Valley neighborhood. So on March 1st, 2015, she opened her first vegan street fair in North Hollywood. I'd never done a large scale festival before. This was a labor of love. We did it on a shoestring. Everything was grassroots, all of our social media push. On the big day, she had 44 vendors set up on two blocks. She thought it would be nice if they got a good turnout so that they could do this annually. And then they opened up. And there were 10,000 people on the street for our first event ever. I was mind blown. Like this thing grew bigger than me before I even stepped onto the street. And right then and there, I knew I had something. People wanted to know when the next event was happening and if it could happen more regularly. So she talked to her city council member, got the go ahead and a weekly market was born. Today, that market has grown beyond a core group of vegans to become a place that appeals to meat eaters, too. I would probably say 70% of the people who show up to my events are not vegan. Attracting non-vegans to her events was always the goal for Cruz. And it's becoming easier to do that as the menus of her vendors get more creative with realistic fake meat products. Substitutions like Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat are popular in fast food restaurants, and grocery shoppers are even buying them more. According to Euromonitor, a global market research firm that tracks the sales of packaged goods, sales of this stuff have grown over 50% in the U.S. since 2019. All this has led to some major menu innovation by local cooks at this Valley pop-up, says Cruz. It's like, what did you grow up with and what do you want people to enjoy from the things you're familiar with? And so the menu, I think, is changing based on the vendors. And so now you've got a no-shrimp Cajun shrimp oil that debuted at a recent market. The cook behind that creation is Jesse Gill, a regular vendor at Vegan Exchange. He owns a pop-up food business called El Compa Vegano and cooks everything from jack-in-the-box-style tacos to sushi rolls and now Cajun food. Gill says a few years ago a vegan shrimp oil wouldn't have been possible because the shrimp substitutions on the market were lacking. Yeah, it was, it was like this gimpy, jelly, flavorless, the texture was just, just didn't feel right. I just didn't like it. So instead of using that so-called shrimp, he made vegan Cajun boils with broccoli as the seafood stand-in. 
That was working for him until a few years later when a shrimp substitute made from an East Asian root veggie called konjac arrived on the scene. Then again, when this uh, shrimp uh, came about, that's when I first did the boil. And it was crazy how realistic it was. I was like, wow. Another cook at the market that's embraced plant-based substitutions and is helping define just what can be done is Sade Witt. We've got a spicy chili mac, two fried chicken with fries, a jambalaya. She's the owner of a vegan Cajun seafood truck called Voodoo Vegan. There are a lot of amazing plant-based products on the market, but the thing is, it's, it's like a raw material still because you still have to take it back to the kitchen, take it back to your workshop, and really play with it and figure out, you know, how you get it to work. On a recent Sunday at Vegan Exchange, Witt stirred liquefied vegan gouda for mac and cheese. Dairy cheese melts easily, but until recently, that wasn't the case for vegan versions. I mean, cheese was sad. It was like, it was almost like cardboard. It didn't melt. If you've never been inside a food truck kitchen, well, it's snug. Chef Witt spins around from the mac and cheese at the food prep counter, takes a half step, and stands before a counter staged for assembling items for the fryers in the corner. She's grabbing spices from an eye-level rack to add flavor to some flour. And I cook from the heart, so I don't really measure. I just know what feels right, you know? And she's going for it. There's now a cloud of spicy Cajun goodness floating around her. Oh, wait. Maybe I need a tiny bit more of that. Oh, I'm so sorry. These, okay. these spices might totally rip you apart. Meat substitutes aren't as porous as animal protein, so it takes a little more work to infuse flavor. That's also why we brine it. So I brine um, our chicken just so that some of the flavor in our oyster mushrooms, just so the flavor can kind of like seep into it, you know? She then brings out the thing I'm here to see, the new and improved vegan shrimp. Girl, it's time. And they're, they're technically fully cooked, you know, but they just come like this. Um, this is a crescent-shaped, very shrimp-like looking substance. Um, they even created this orange kind of gummy layer. Just again, kind of complement like what an actual shrimp would look like. And then if you break it open, you see that it's not just flat. It's kind of like got that same texture as an actual shrimp would have. She puts the shrimp in a dry batter, wet batter, dry batter again, and then into the fryer they go. A golden fried shrimp comes out, and this non-vegan reporter has her first ever taste of vegan shrimp. Wow, that tastes, that it's delicious. And the texture, I don't know that I would know the difference. It worked for me, so I wondered what other people thought. Outside, the market was in full swing. There was upbeat music, and around 50 vendors were there slinging their eats. The most striking thing was how much this place looked like L.A. The crowds were diverse, and a majority of the vendors were people of color. And so many of the city's ethnic foods were on display, including Thai gelato, Japanese sushi, and even Mexican street dogs. Chanel de Castro and her family sat at a picnic table with several sushi burritos, mushroom enchiladas, and barbecue wings. Yeah, we're getting more. This is just the appetizers. <laughs> Chanel is a vegan, but her cousin Camille de Castro isn't. Camille went in for a first bite of that tuna sushi burrito. No, it doesn't have the texture of tuna, but it's, it tastes good. It's a good substitute. Getting people to try meat and seafood substitutes is what this market is all about, says Jesse Gill. 
people they have this mind especially us you know especially me you know being mexican you know a lot they're very old school you have to eat meat tienes comer carne in their words you have to eat meat you have to eat meat our parents always taught us that to get protein and you know there's it's you know protein is in plants as well you know you can get as much protein in plants uh minus animal cholesterol his goal with his food is always to change perspectives he says he makes his dishes for everyone but i love targeting non-vegans because those are the ones that I want to show and prove, like, look, try this. So when I get compliments from them and they're just mind blown, that's when it makes me feel good as a chef. I'm like, hell yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And if his customers walk away with a full stomach feeling good, Gil says mission accomplished. For KCRW, I'm Megan Jamerson. All right, but going beyond the vegan chefs and restaurants of greater L.A., we wanted to hear from you if you're vegan, vegan curious, or even accidentally vegan. So why was going vegan right for you? What were your tricks to make the switch? And what was the hardest thing to give up when you went all plant-based? So my name is Rodrigo Mejia. I live in Eagle Rock. Uh, and I've been a vegetarian and every now and then without consciously knowing a vegan um, for well on 15 years now. I started as vegetarian. Right? It's because I love cheese. Some things are like so hard to shave out of your life. One of the dishes that uh, my mother uh, always made, which I you know, really enjoyed from the kid up until the time, um, well, you could say even now, was sabondigas, which is like a Mexican meatball soup. It's very important. It's like my home meal that makes me, reminds me of home and something that uh, I attribute to my mother uh, at all. And yeah, that meat, I have been, those meatballs were like essential as opposed to you know, my whole childhood, really. One of the things like when you become or decide to move away and try, like, hey, I'm going to try, you know, uh, like a vegan diet, veggie diet, something moving away from me, like your family is usually your first like tests they ask you like what about the meals that we enjoy what about all the things that we've always had and albondigas just happened to be the last meal like not really by choice but it was just it was something i had to do for the family they always say like oh you'll come back you know like this isn't gonna last and it's been 15 years when fake meat was like coming out and i thought it was gimmicky at first because everyone kind of uh, gets used to like oh i'll do a veggie burger oh i'll do something like a fake fake meat and it's usually kind of you kind of have to like believe your lie a little bit it just tastes a little off but now oh my goodness i am so eager to explore because uh, i've really fallen in love with the ground meat but they make like a ground chuck that you can roll into those albondigas meatballs that you can embed those rice so like now's a fantastic time i think to start looking into like recreating those dishes which is awesome because it's i for me the taste is there as well i don't i don't have to believe that lie and uh it's something where i don't feel too awkward maybe sharing with the family either like just try it it can't it's not that bad it's actually has its own like flavor profile which is you know not disgusting <laughs> to try Hi, my name is Daniela Morado. I live in Santa Monica, and we are experimenting with being vegan for the past six years or so. My husband and I take turns doing the cooking. Uh, we, yeah, I usually cook around three or four days a week, and he cooks the other two. Um, and then we eat as a family with our two daughters. Before we 
started subscribing to the uh, plant-based meal box, we never really, you know, cooked vegan because we weren't vegan, so we didn't know how to. And that really taught us how to, you know, prepare vegan meals and, and use all the different ingredients with the uh, meat substitutes. Just the other day, we had some chickpeas. It was a chickpea bake with lemon. And I don't think it had any tofu or other substitutes, but it was vegan. It was super delicious. So they include vegan butter and vegan cheese, which we had never really you know, tried before. And they're actually pretty good. Well, our daughters are young. They don't really love chickpeas, but they, they have to eat it. I mean, that's our, our dinner. Yeah, it's really good because you can, you know, experiment and do different ethnicities. They have, you know, Thai food or Vietnamese food or Korean tacos, stuff like that. And it's, um, you know, helpful to expand your... And then you feel more confident cooking. Hi, my name is Marvelous Miles. I live in West Hollywood, and I started my journey um, in college, actually. Um, After years of having horrible periods, horrible cycles, um, I did a little bit of research, um, and what I found was that eating meat contributed to um, heavy cycles. Um, And I definitely had heavy cycles, which, you know, it kept me from like going to classes, hanging out with friends, um, just being a carefree college student. So I've been a vegan for like 15 plus years, which is kind of like old school vegan to certain people. There are a lot more um, vegan options than when I actually started. Um, You have like just eggs, the vegan substitutes, Beyond Meats, Impossibles, all that, all those different um, processed foods, um, they're more available now than when I actually first started. So I actually tried to make um, a vegan omelet um, with the just egg and it did not turn out like I wanted it to. Not like the video that I saw online. (laughs) It was not like that at all. Just very much not an omelet. The deal with eggs, I have a joke, and I don't know if this is KCRW friendly, but I always say I have my own eggs. Like, why am I eating someone else's eggs? (laughs) Just saying. One of the reasons why I live in L.A. is because there's so many vegan options. Um, I work in the film and television industry, so I travel a lot. Um, And I'm always ecstatic to come back home because I know that, you know, I can go to a farmer's market or I can go to a cool upscale vegan restaurant or, you know, just get some vegan junk food when I need it. And so um, I'm really happy to live in L.A. as a vegan because it's hard to eat out there in those streets. That was Rodrigo Mejia, Daniela Morado and Marvelous Miles. Thank you for your response, and thank you for sharing your story of being vegan in L.A. Coming up, more and more spores, mushrooms are popping up all over the place after a season of wet. What will you find, and where will you find it? That's ahead on GLA, on the other side of this. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled 
This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. Onward now with Greater LA from KCRW. I'm Steve Chiatakis. There is more rain in the forecast this week, and that will only make more super the super shroom. That's super shroom, by the way, not super bloom. Turns out it's not just poppies that are happy with all that water. Mushrooms, as you probably know, like it too. And foragers are on the hunt to find them and pick them, but maybe without as much Instagram fanfare. Stu Pickle is program director and VP of the Los Angeles Mycological Society. I'll save you the Wikipedia search. Mycology is the study of fungi. Hi, Stu. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. You bet. We're having this so-called super shroom this winter. I bet it's typically challenging here in Southern California, right? It's not, it's not the wettest place. So how do you, you know, I mean, when was the last winter that you saw the area yield so much fungi? I think the last time it was anywhere near like this was maybe the winter of 2018, 2019, which was a pretty good year, but still nothing like this. I mean, I I started out hunting mushrooms in Portland, Oregon, and like you said, it it was much easier there than it is here. So it's really exciting to get this opportunity with all the rain we've had this year. So talk a little bit about the kinds of mushrooms that you find, right? I mean, were, were the mushrooms you found this year particularly large? Did you find varieties that maybe you haven't found in other years? So I would say there were just more in general this year. But I've also been finding, I mean, pretty much every time I go out, I've found something that I am not expecting to see in Southern California. And numerous times this season, I've found species that have not been seen in Southern California before. I'm still finding chanterelles. I picked a few pounds of chanterelles this weekend um, out in the Santa Monica Mountains. But it's just all these fungi that are really exciting to see that just giving us a better picture of what we do have here under our feet in SoCal. You just pronounced it fungi, and I pronounced it fungi. Which one is it, Stu? You can say it however you want, as long as you get the point across. <laughs> uh, some people say fungi or fungi or fungi. I kind of try to avoid the fungi because it invites too many puns. I've heard that joke enough times. But you can say it however you want, as long as people know what you're talking about. Well, you can be a fun guy while picking mushrooms, right? Exactly. It is pretty fun. So let me, let me ask you this, because you, you, you've mentioned, um, obviously, wild mushrooms, edible mushrooms. Obviously, we know what some of the other mushrooms do. What do people use the mushrooms for in general? I mean, obviously to eat, but, but what are other practical uses for mushrooms? Why would you pick them? Well, I think a lot of people just like to look at them. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about them. But some of the species we do have here in SoCal have been shown to have some medicinal properties also. Turkey tails have been shown through peer-reviewed evidence to be good in addition to more traditional cancer treatments for boosting the immune system. Uh, there is some evidence to show that lion's mane, which I also found this weekend in the Santa Monica Mountains, boosts neurological performance. It'll actually help improve uh, brain activity in certain ways. But it's, it's still a relatively unexplored field. There's not a lot of strong evidence for the medicinal properties of most mushrooms. So you do have to approach it with some skepticism. Uh, 
you're probably not getting a whole lot of benefit from that latte with mushroom extract added to it that you paid ten dollars mm. for at the the cafe this morning. Yeah. So say you're a first time forager looking to get your hands dirty. Where where would you look? Where where do mushrooms grow? So I think the best place to look for mushrooms this time of year is under our big coast live oak trees. Sometimes you'll you'll only find the mushrooms under like a a bunch of leaves that are kind of just poking up. You'll see a bump in the leaf litter and you kind of have to unearth that and take a look underneath very carefully and then you'll find the mushroom which is not necessarily visible to you without looking for it there. We talked about edible mushrooms. We talked about mushrooms that, that may or may not have some sort of health benefit. But there are also poisonous mushrooms as well. Like, like you shouldn't just pick a mushroom and, and take a bite, right? That's probably not the best idea. It's not the best idea. And it is safe to touch any mushroom. Um, they won't hurt you if you touch them. Even the most deadly ones, you have to actually ingest them. And we only have really a handful of really dangerous mushrooms here in L.A., but whenever I take new people out who are interested in foraging for mushrooms and finding mushrooms that they intend to consume at home, I say the first ones that you should learn how to identify are these ones that are fairly common that will hurt you. Then you can start focusing on what you can eat. And of course, there are the mushrooms that, that can also be hallucinogenic, right? And I, I, I'm just asking for a friend, you know, can, can you find those kinds of mushrooms around here as well? You can. Uh, they're actually becoming more and more common, apparently, and that might be related to climate change because or just distribution of these species, kind of invasive uh, invasive behavior by certain species. So there are more and more records of hallucinogenic mushrooms in L.A. County. I am not very familiar with them. I've never seen them, um, but I have heard that people are finding them here. What about the folks who, I mean, we know about the super bloom, there's probably going to be a really good super bloom in the coming weeks because of the rain that we had, especially earlier this winter, um, and more rain, obviously, on its way. What about the super shroom? Is there a way to do that and be respectful, you know, without, like, throngs of people going to places to, to try and find and forage for mushrooms and, while well, you know, not destroying property or, you know, like trampling on, on other plants and wildlife. I had a little hesitation about actually coming and doing this interview because um, giving these types of a natural phenomena, these events, the media publicity just kind of draws hordes and hordes of people to go appreciate them. And these, these natural phenomena are not there for our consumption. They're not there for us to go see. They need to be treated with a certain level of respect. So I think um, I saw this more as an opportunity to hopefully get across the point of Doing this respectfully, I mean, leave no trace when you go and look for these mushrooms, just like you would leave no trace when you go and look for the wildflowers. Don't leave the path. Don't leave litter anywhere. Um, if you are picking mushrooms, don't strew about the mushrooms after you pick them and just kind of toss them everywhere. Try to um, put the leaf litter back. Don't destroy anything. Just treat them as their their own organisms. They're not there for you to pick and consume and appreciate. They have their own existence. They're their own organisms, and you need to respect that they um, are an important part of this ecosystem. Well, thank you for coming on and talking with us, Stu Pickle, Mushroom Forager, Program Director, and VP of the Los Angeles Mycological Society. Stu, thanks. Thanks, Steve. 
That's going to do it for us today. Tomorrow, the mob scene that is line dancing in the queer community in and around Echo Park. We're going to take you there. Share your thoughts with us, maybe even share a story, and grab the podcast anytime at our website, kcrw.com slash greaterla. You can, of course, get the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search KCRW Greater LA. Or again, that website, kcrw.com slash GLA. Juliana Mayo, Nihar Patel, Phil Richards, John Meek, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Sue Margulies, and Christian Bordall all helped with this evening's episode. I'm Steve Chitakis. Thanks for your time, and thanks for your ear. Have a great night.